Hey, this is Matt Markin, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Adventures in Advising podcast. Thank you so much for listening in and subscribing to this podcast. Each episode, we strive to bring together the global academic advising community by sharing knowledge, best practices, and of course, advising stories. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Advising Podcast, and now on YouTube at Adventures in Advising. Without further ado, here's the latest episode, and as always, keep advising. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Adventures in Advising. It's our 13th episode of 2021, and we have a couple of great interviews for you to enjoy. Yep, we have another exciting episode for you to listen to with our guests, Leslie Ross and Rachel Mars. We'll also hear from Dane Zanowski on what's new on Dane's desk. But first, a few weeks ago, we informed you we started a YouTube channel. We have another announcement to make. We just launched our brand new Adventures in Advising website, a one-stop shop for podcast episodes and more. It's an easy web address to remember, adventuresinadvising.com. Aside from that, we wanted to share some comments from our survey. The first is from Quentin Alexander, who said, incredible concept and informative for all to access. Erica Rubel said, loved episode 29. And yes, we did too. That was a lot of fun, no doubt, with Kevin Thomas, Jennifer Aron, Karen Lewis, and Chris Kirchhoff. And lastly, Gabby Allen said, thank you for making the profession of academic advising visible to the world. As a lead academic advisor with nine advisors under my supervision, I'd like to share episodes of this podcast to help my advisors see that we all share very common experiences, which in turn helps them validate the work they do as professionals who are making a difference in students' lives. Thank you so very much. We definitely appreciate these comments. Our first interview of this episode is with Leslie Ross. All right, today we welcome to the podcast Leslie Ross. Leslie received her master's in education from Georgia State University and her bachelor's of science in science, technology, and culture from the Georgia Institute of Technology. She is an active member of the Georgia Tech Academic Advisors Network and of NACADA, the Global Community for Academic Advising. Since 2011, Ms. Ross has been the undergraduate academic advisor for the School of Public Policy. She is responsible for the advising of all undergraduates, as well as those students enrolled in the five-year BSMS Public Policy Degree Program. Additionally, she manages a mentorship program for policy students and teaches a first-year transition to college life course. In 2018, Leslie was recognized as the Outstanding Undergraduate Academic Advisor Staff Award winner at the Georgia Tech Faculty and Staff Awards Banquet. She was also chosen as one of the Outstanding Advising Award winners at the national level by NACADA. Since then, she has joined the Emerging Leaders Program in NACADA, been elected as Region 4 Awards Chair, Liberal Arts Advising Community Chair, and serves on the Global Awards and Professional Development Committees for NACADA. In her free time, Leslie enjoys spending time with her family, hiking, cooking, and watching educational TikToks. Leslie, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. So excited to be here. And we're excited to have the opportunity to chat to you. I mean, we heard from your bio that there will be lots for us to to cover, but you know how we usually begin. We we love to hear about your path into advising and how you ended up where you are now, Leslie. Oh, I'd love to share it with you. Uh, I think, you know, it all started when I was a student at Georgia Tech. I 
loved my classes. I loved what I was learning. And the summer before my senior year, I was like, I need to figure out a way that I can stay at college forever. <laughs> and uh, I ended up working in the admissions office, actually. And when I graduated, they hired me to be a recruiter and admissions counselor. And I did that for about six or seven years and the traveling got old. And what I loved about uh, college life was getting to know the students and have, building a relationship with them. But once they were admitted, I never saw them again. And you know, unless they came by the admissions office as a tour guide or something, you know, you just hope that for the best. So in about uh, 2011, I had the opportunity to apply for an academic advising position uh, in the liberal arts college in the School of Public Policy, and it was a really great fit. And what I was really hoping to do and what has happened is that I get to really build relationship with students and see them grow from scared, doe-eyed freshmen into being fully capable and competent uh, global citizens. And it's really nice to, to see them progress. Yeah, absolutely. And it's nice here, kind of hearing from your background, also working in admissions, because I used to work in admissions. So and that was literally the same reason why I wanted to leave admissions to go and, and become an academic advisor because, you know, we're admitting these students, sometimes denying them. But you know, we're once they're admitted, what happens to them? Do they succeed? Do they have any challenges? Is there anything we could have helped with? You know, do they end up graduating? So that whole story, that whole journey for them, we don't end up seeing. And so it was nice when I got to leave and go into academic advising. So I'm like, great, now we actually get to work with them throughout their time at, at the university. Yeah. And what I really enjoy is that um, because I'm the academic advisor for the whole school, I get to see them all the way through the process, you know, from the time that, that they start and, and all the way until graduation. And they tell me about their job prospects and their career concerns. So, you know, you really do get to build that relationship over the, the four years. Yeah. And I, I bet some a lot of them probably appreciate being able to like, OK, okay I, I've met Leslie, but oh, I get to also continue to meet with Leslie and have that have that familiarity throughout their time at, at your institution. And speaking of that, so you're working at, at Georgia Tech. And for those that may not know too much about your institution, how would you describe your institution? We are a very academically competitive science and technology institute that is best known for our engineering programs. We have the number one industrial engineering program by U.S. News and World Report, and a lot of our students come to Georgia Tech to be mechanical engineers or aerospace engineers. We have an outstanding a computer science program, and a lot of our students come because of that reputation. And we also have a great College of Liberal Arts. And because students don't necessarily think of Georgia Tech in uh, the liberal arts scope, it is always very exciting to me to expose them to the liberal arts when they come to Georgia Tech and, and they're interested in something that's not engineering or, or that's not computer science. And I always tell them the story that I was a liberal arts student at Georgia Tech and how that experience really helped me uh, and grow, helped me shape the person that I am. The opportunity to explain to people not only how things work, but how, why they work uh, 
appeal to me. And oftentimes when people ask me, like, you know, your degree, it's science, technology, and culture. Like, what what is that? And basically I tell them, engineers are really good at designing things, but they're not so great at explaining how they work and how the common person can use this technology or they can use this, you know, new thing. And so it's really nice to be able to be the go-between between that. And I think that the liberal arts at Georgia Tech really kind of presents itself as the perfect relationship between science and the humanities. Yeah, Georgia Tech's reputation isn't just national. Uh, Georgia Tech is known globally, I can, I can tell you, both in terms of the, the academic side of things and obviously the football team who came to Dublin a few years ago and Harrison Butker, who now kicks with the, the Chiefs and has been to a couple of Super Bowls, uh, is a, a Georgia Tech alum. I suppose I'm really interested in in your approach and, and your philosophy um, to to advising, Leslie, given, you know, you have that that background and, and the, the the passion for students and the love of learning. So just interested in hearing a bit more about about your your approach to your work. Um, I think that you can really kind of summarize my philosophy in academic advising uh, by the slogan, people don't know. I mean, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And oftentimes, students will be hesitant to share with their professors or to go to office hours about the struggles they're having. But uh, once they come to me as their academic advisor and I say, hey, you know, I see that you're struggling in your math class or I see that you're having some some difficulties in your science class. Like, what seems to be the barrier for you? And As soon as they recognize and they uh, can see that I'm not asking them, you know, why their grades are bad. I'm asking about their personal feelings. You know, what can I do to assist you in in, and how can I help you to be uh, a better student? Then they they open up and they share with me the challenges that they might have or uh, some of the successes that they have that have have made it easier to succeed in other classes, but they're not experiencing the same success in in this one class. And I also, uh, I think I empower students uh, when they meet me to say, you know, this is your, you know, college career and you can map it out, you know, as best you can with my help. Uh, I always tell them the sample schedule that you see is by no means Uh, the way in which we think that you should go about graduating from Georgia Tech. This is just one way that you could do it. As long as you fulfill all of the academic requirements, you know, you can do that in a lot of different ways. And I am here to assist you and to help you and to accomplish the goals that you have. You know, perhaps you want to do three internships or maybe you want to study abroad every other summer or Maybe you have goals and dreams and aspirations that don't necessarily fit perfectly into this four-year plan, but I can help you. you can, together, we can build an academic plan that can help you accomplish all of your dreams and goals. Yeah, definitely. You can make it as specific as possible. And yeah, I think sometimes they see that roadmap and they're like, I need to follow this you know, to a T. And it's like, no. I mean, who knows? You might not even be able to get one of those classes during one of those terms and you might have to readjust. And maybe it's not a four-year plan. Maybe it's five years. You know, you never never know. And so do you think, because with your talk about liberal arts and, you know, talking about 
uh, when students might think of, of Georgia Tech, they think of more maybe the engineering side of it. Um, do you think there's any misconceptions people have about the liberal arts? I do think that there's a lot of misconceptions people have about the liberal arts. Um, oftentimes, the biggest misconception that I hear, mostly from parents, but oftentimes from students, is, well, if I major in the liberal arts, then I won't get a job. And I always combat that. And I'm like, I mean, why do you think that? And I think that the overwhelming answer is that there is no job that says hiring liberal arts major. And, you know, I think that they think just too narrowly about, you know, what job postings say, because oftentimes, you know, being at a science and technology school, there are job postings, especially as internships or say, we're hiring a computer science student. We're hiring a mechanical engineering major. We're looking for a biomedical engineering major. And, they always want to know, well, you know, what am I supposed to do if they're not looking specifically for my major? And I always remind them that they are developing the skills that they need to, to be in a variety of different fields and to do jobs that don't even exist yet. So they need not think of themselves only as a public policy major or only as a liberal arts major and really think about the skills that they want to develop and the types of things that they want to accomplish so that they can be confident when they apply for that first internship or for that first summer job. I might be biased as a liberal arts grad myself, but I definitely think it provides a, a solid foundation that you can build on, as uh, you have been saying, Leslie. I'm interested, Matt mentioned that, you know, you teach a, a transition to, to college class. And I suppose it, in, in terms of this year, it, it looks like around the world, depending on the, the Delta variant, but it looks like we're going to be back on campuses. Uh, certainly, that seems to be the, the case in many places. Is is your um, course going to be a little bit different um, this year or was it the same last year? I'm just conscious that there's probably a lot of listeners where they had their their last year, the students weren't on campus. And this, so you, you essentially have two cohorts now coming to campus, some of whom are in their second year, but it's their first year on campus. So, you uh, you know, is, is that going to be something that you are dealing with at Georgia Tech? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I was just talking about this Um with our director of undergraduate studies. And I was telling him, you know, we will essentially have two first year cohorts while one of them will have taken their first year classes. They will still not have experienced the wealth of experiences and opportunities that you have being on a college campus. As a matter of fact, there is an article in the Chronicles just today talking about this exact issue about students, you know, not being able to associate or make friends as freely as they would have if they were on campus and having access to everything that they would normally have access to. The uh, transition to college life class that I do teach, I'm actually teaching one right now for our summer st students. And um, last year, it was 100% virtual. We met online. We did all of our um presentations online. I think I had maybe two or three in-person classes where I got to see the students uh, 
and we were like, you know, in a in an auditorium that was meant for a hundred people, but there were like thirteen people in in the room because you know we were taking precautions for the pandemic. But now students are really uh, excited and anxious to get back to uh, something similar to what they were expecting for their college experience. And I'm excited for them. You know, I'm, I'm encouraging them to take advantage of all of the opportunities that um, they haven't had an opportunity to take advantage of up until now. And even my second year students, those students who were in my class last year or, or the students who uh, were first year public policy majors um, last year, my plan is to reach out to them so that we can start to build the connections and uh, to rebuild the community that is so vibrant and such a big part of the liberal arts uh, school and college at Georgia Tech. Yeah, and I think even just as advisors, professional staff, I know a lot of people are really excited to be back on campus and also just all the changes that will probably happen once we're back. For, you know, for example, it's not necessarily that we will 100% be back. Maybe there's going to be a mixture of those online courses with the in-person. You might have faculty that love teaching online now, and that's their preferred method. But it is going to be interesting to see how things go. Just like you're saying, like two new cohorts in a sense. You know, you have the new students coming in, but the ones that have been students for a year, but an online student, now they actually get to experience, oh, what it is it, what is it to be on the campus? And speaking of, you know, being on campus or your role, like your your title is a program manager, correct? Yes. So what does a program manager do? Well, basically, I am an academic advisor plus. So I am responsible for, you know, first through all the way from when you start until you graduate for our public policy students. But we also have a mentorship program that that helps them to acclimate to Georgia Tech and helps them to get that first internship experience. We require that all of our students do an internship before they graduate uh, in the School of Public Policy. So a lot of our focus is helping students to um, complete their resume or to talk about uh, interview techniques or what kinds of internships they might be interested in. I'm also, um, as I mentioned, teaching a GT1000, the Transition to College Life class. And I also work with our alumni and our uh, career services so that our students can have relationships with both, um, both our alumni who like to come back and, and give our students advice and career services who can help our students while they're here and as they uh, go out into the wide world and get jobs to keep in touch with us and help us to get that next set of students uh, contacts into the workforce. So it's really a, a holistic kind of 360 view that you have of the, the student journey, which uh, is, I mean, gr- must be fascinating for you, but great for, for the students and to probably uh, potentially see alums come back and, and give back, which is uh, really cool. Uh, now, when I was doing some research for, for this interview, did I uh, see online that you went to the UK uh, back in uh, 20, 2017? Was that, was that right? Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that? I would love to tell you about that. I, um, I supervised an international uh, study abroad 
program. Um, we have what's called the Georgia Tech Ox Study Abroad Program that goes to Oxford. And they the students spend five weeks going from city to city. Usually it's three cities in, in Italy, uh, a couple of cities. Maybe they'll go to, it depends upon what group they're in, you know, the, the different <laughs> cities they go to in Europe, but Paris, Vienna, uh, Belgium. It was amazing. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I did, this is, this was my second time doing it in 2017. I also, uh, supervised this same, same study abroad, uh, trip in 2006. And that was when I was working in the admissions office. And it was an amazing experience both times. What I can say is that the students love it. It is eye-opening for most of them. It is their first time out of the country, especially their first time out of the country, you know, alone. You know, they, they don't have their family with them. Most of the time, they don't know anybody on in the study abroad program before they sign up. And it really just gives them an opportunity to, to see parts of the globe that they've never been to and to study. Uh, we While we're traveling, the students are taking two classes, one of them is a music appreciation class and the other is an art appreciation class. So we go to uh, operettas, we go to uh, symphonies, we go to so many museums. I think in 2017, I went to the Louvre four times. It was amazing each time, but uh, suffice it to say, I still haven't seen everything in the Louvre. It was a great opportunity. Uh, I encourage anyone who, you know, even has an inkling that they might want to uh, experience something like this, look into see uh, if your college or institution allows staff to supervise study abroad um, trips. Uh, the process for me to go on this one, it was an application process, and then you interview you have to have the support of your department and you have to agree to do your job while you're traveling as well as to be present and helpful for the students who need, you know, the basics of, you know, how do I get around? You know, where's the metro? Keep them on track and make sure that that everybody has what they need. You travel with two um, professors, uh, the music professor and the art history professor. And then we have a local guide uh, who helps us get around from city to city and country to country. It was an absolutely amazing experience that I would do again in a heartbeat. And I mean, the School of Public Policy actually has uh, started its own um, international study abroad experience. And uh, we are going uh, to continue and we do a study of climate change in Venice and the students spend um, about four to five weeks in Italy. So I'm really hoping that in 2022 that I can be the staff member to go to Italy. So, you know, I'm crossing my fingers and dropping hints wherever I can to say, you know, Italy sounds like a great place for me to go. <laughs> We're going to put it out there. Speak it, believe it.
right? And talking about that too, it's like we've had past guests like James Alford or Mike Sersosimo who participate in similar type of things like that and have said how much it's not only benefited the students, but for them themselves to be able to go and then to experience that with the students, like it's been, it's been amazing for them. So yeah, hopefully 2022, I'm crossing my fingers for you as well. So we were talking the other day about and joking about how it's hard to say no, because there's so many opportunities out there. And, you know, it's like, do I say yes to this? Do I have time to do it? Do I, can I make the time to do it? And especially, you know, with the Nakata, it's like you go to a conference, you go to a, a session and they're like, hey, we need help with this. Or you just happen to walk around and someone says, hey, I know you. Do you want to help with this? And knee-jerk reaction a lot of times is yes. And then it's like, why did I say yes? Oh, no. How's that, how's that worked out for you so far? And how's that helped you with your professional development? I mean, I will say that I, I have a say yes first and figure out how you're going to make it happen second kind of philosophy. And I think that's why people just continue to ask me to do things because they, they just know I'm going to be like, yes, I would love to do it. I would love to help. I'd love to pitch in. Um, and I think that's really added to my professional development. And it's why I am region four awards chair and on the global awards committee and on the professional development committee and why I threw my name in the hat to run for liberal arts advising committee chair. I mean, it really has um, opened up so many opportunities for me and I have met so many different people and really kind of exposed me to things that I would have never been exposed to if I hadn't have said yes. So no regrets there. I mean, there are some times when you're reviewing um, awards, you know, at one o'clock in the morning because you've wait it to the last minute or uh, like me when I'm reviewing for conference proposals and you're like, well, I just want to say yes to all of these. Like, how do I, how do you decide? Can't they all present? I mean, just make the conference five days. So uh, I mean, it really kind of motivates me and encourages me and spurs me on to, to be excited about, so many different opportunities and ways to get involved, not just in Nakata, but, you know, to bring those things back to my campus and, you know, to share with my network of advisors on Georgia Tech's campus. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for sure-fire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop-your-face-onto-a-water-polo-hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with The Admissions Game wherever you podcast. I was laughing when you were saying about like procrastinating, leaving things to the last minute, because very often I'll hear people say that about students. And I'm like, no, no, that's just people in general. That's all of us. I'm I'm certainly guilty of that at times. It's the same. I go to conferences and people will say students are on their phones all the time. I'm like, look around. We're we're all on our phones all the time. Right. This isn't just a, a student so yeah, phenomenon. But one of the other things I, I know you're involved with, like you, you wear many hats in Nakata, uh, is the Emerging Leaders Program. 
Um, and maybe you could talk a, a little bit about that. Oh, well, uh, Emerging Leaders holds a special place in my heart. Um, I'm so sad that my cohort didn't get an opportunity to be together uh, this past year in Puerto Rico. I mean, of all the conferences to be virtual, it had to be the one that I was most looking forward to going to. And Matt, you, I, I heard you, you tell me earlier that you were fitting us in in between sessions for the international conference. I was supposed to be in Greece right now. I mean, this pandemic has taken away so many opportunities for travel for me. But um, the Emerging Leaders Program really and truly has given me so many opportunities to get involved with Nakata. I had the opportunity to meet so many people in different positions. Uh, I mean, to talk to the current president, the past presidents. Uh, Karen Oshambal is in our cohort as a mentor. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, and then my mentor, uh, Karen Lewis, she's amazing. She is just the most organized and thoughtful and sweet person. And she just thinks that, oh, you know, I'm just not doing enough. I'm like, you're doing way more than anyone could possibly do. I really appreciate, you know, any time you can give me. And just the the camaraderie that you feel with different emerging leader cohorts and having the opportunity to meet all of these superstars uh, who have been involved with the Emerging Leaders Program is just really special. And anytime you tell someone, oh, you know, I did the Emerging Leaders Program, they their their eyes instantly light up and, you know, they, they tell you about their experience. And I would encourage anyone who's on the fence or just thinking about getting more involved with Nakata to apply for the ELP because it is truly life-changing. Yeah, and I know it, it, you mentioned Puerto Rico and it's like, oh my goodness, that would have been such an amazing conference in general, but then also to have the Emerging Leaders cohort to be able to be there and have your meeting there would have been totally awesome. And you're actually graduating the program this October, so... Hopefully it's when you get to go to, to Ohio and a lot of your goals that I think that was posted on the website for emerging leaders that you had for your second year, you basically were able to check all of them off. But one question I don't think we've ever asked anyone yet uh, for the emerging leaders, uh, people who've been in the emerging leaders program, but for those that might be interested though, um, you know, we've talked about how you get paired with, you know, there's a mentor, mentee. Can you talk about your specific with, with Karen, um, how you all communicate, you know, virtually? Um, is it something you do like, is it structured? Is it kind of just like whenever you need, you need assistance? Um, I will really just say that Karen became my phone buddy, best friend. Like we would just text each other. We, we started using Marco Polo to each other. Um, <laughs> she really became kind of like a, a Nakata big sister. And whenever I was having challenges at work or just needed to call somebody and vent, she was always right there. Also, I think uh, one of the great things that ELP, the Emerging Leaders Program does is that they encourage you to, to have a conversation about what you need from your mentor. And, you know, your mentor can tell you, you know, what they can provide. And me and Karen got lunch together immediately after we were paired. And I was telling her, you know, here's what's going on in my personal life. Here's what's going on in my, you know, 
work life and these are the things I'm balancing and I'm just trying to figure it all out. And she was like, oh, I totally understand. And she sent me some podcasts to to listen to. And she was just always so supportive of me personally. Uh, And I think, you know, that's probably what makes her a really good academic advisor is that, you know, she cares. And that came through, uh, through when, when we talked and, and even now when I, when I text her and I'm like, Hey, can you chat? And she's like, no, but I'll call you, you know, after work. And she always follows up. And so I really do think, and I, and I told her this, I was like, even though our official relationship will be over in October, you're stuck with me for life. So I just, you know, just want you to know once my mentor, always my mentor, (laughs) And when, one of the cool things that we were able to do is that she came to my regional conference uh, right before the pandemic actually hit. We were we were the only region that were, was able, I think, to have our conference in Tampa, and we had the best time. It was just so great to have her here in my region, and she could introduce me to the people she knew. And then she brought some people from Region 2 uh, down with her, and I mean, we really just had an opportunity to get to know one another better. And, you know, she got a chance to introduce me to people that she knew throughout Nakata. It was an awesome experience. And I can't wait to go to Region 2 in person. I did go to Region 2, their virtual conference this past year, but not quite the same. So I told her, I was like, I'm still going to keep up my end of the bargain and I'm going to come to Region 2 so we can uh, make it happen. And I'm looking forward to that. And yes, uh, my plan is to be in Cincinnati in person. Um, I've already gotten some proposals accepted. And of course, you know, since I'm chair of the liberal arts advising community, then of course I'll, I'll have to be there for that and for some training. So I am looking forward to it. Even though it's not quite Puerto Rico, it will be nice to be together uh, with all of you wonderful advisors. Lots to look forward to in the the second half of 2021 and into 2022. Now, Leslie, you are a multiple award winner, both at institutional and I guess at national or global level uh, for NACADA. Just interested, I suppose, for for listeners who, you know, are hearing this and kind of thinking, you know, I'd I'd love to to be in that position, have my work recognized. What was that experience like? I mean, uh, can you talk a little bit about about that? I, I absolutely can. Um, it was an amazing experience. I I enjoyed it immensely. One of the things that I did to prepare for applying uh, for the national award was I wrote my advising philosophy. And then after I you know got my philosophy on paper, uh, I was really active in involved in the academic advising network on Georgia Tech's campus and we actually held a a conference for all of Georgia Tech's academic advisors so that they could work on their uh, personal and professional advising philosophies. We had um, Charlie Nutt come down and talk to us about that and and he, he really kind of did a workshop with us. And I think that anyone who is interested in being recognized, either whether it's on their campus or uh, one wants to apply for the global award, they should start there. They should start with, what is my advising philosophy? Do I have it written down on paper? Because 
putting those thoughts into writing was one of the best things that I have ever done, but it was also challenging. It's, it's, it's hard to convey, uh, you know, how you feel and, and what you think about uh, academic advising into, you know, a quick one page synopsis. One of the great tips with advising philosophy is like, it's, it's a living document, you know, because as we learn more, we are more seasoned, we can update that document, add to it, change it up. Maybe it becomes two pages. Who knows? Yes. But yeah, it's definitely hard to kind of get everything that from heart heads in, onto that word document and to really describe, okay, what is it that I believe and what is it that I that I want to do for my students, for myself and, and that sort of thing. But great, great tip with, with creating that to create that advising philosophy. Now, you know, as Colin talked about, like you're doing a lot. So you know, you're going to be incoming Region 4 Award Chair, incoming Liberal Arts Advising Community Chair. I mean, I'm sure you're, you're thinking about it now. Like, are there any any goals or things that you want you and your committee want to accomplish once you start? There are. Um, as a matter of fact, I was talking to Dana Hebriard, who is the incoming chair for the career uh, advising community. And... Um, I was also talking to some other chairs of their advising communities. And what we want to do is to have uh, more collaborations between the communities. And um, I'm hoping to have some virtual Zoom conversations, especially since more things will be uh, on campus and in person. I still want to con continue uh, being connected to Nakata virtually and for people who can't go to conferences in person to have the opportunity for them to connect to their advising communities every other month or so and just explore a new topic. So my plan, and I'm working with our current uh, chair of the liberal arts advising community, Ashley Glenn, and we're, we're plotting what we're going to do for the next year or so, trying to get some dates and some titles on the calendar so that we really can um, continue the, the community and the growth that we've had over the past year uh, into 2022. Yeah, great to, to hear about those plans. And I suppose the desire for kind of continued collaboration uh, across uh, different uh, communities. Now, one of the things that, um, you know, I, I heard when Matt re read your bio um, is that outside of uh, advising in higher ed, you're interested in hiking. Um, and that's probably speaks to me is that something I do. But um, I suppose outside of higher ed, alongside hiking, and I, I'm interested in hearing that, but for, I suppose, listeners, tell us a little bit about your world outside of higher ed. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Um... So I have the world's cutest nephew, and I am his number one fan. Um, we spend at least a week or two uh, weekends together. 
he is the only grandchild on my parents' side. Uh, he is the, the love of most of our, our family's lives. Uh, outside of that, I really enjoy cooking and, like you said, uh, hiking. Um, I just recently did Tallulah Falls. It has a million steps. It was absolutely gorgeous, like just so pretty. But the whole way you're going down, you're like, oh, this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. You know, I, I can totally do this. And then you have to climb the million and one steps back up. And that's when you're like, maybe I should have worked on my squats a little bit more before I thought I could climb 1,162 stairs, you know, without dying. But uh, I have a friend or two who's always willing to to go on an adventure with me. And we haven't gotten lost yet. So that is uh, always fun for me. Uh, and then, of course, you know, I have a secret identity along with Matt, which is we like to watch and make TikToks. Uh, I think Matt's a little bit more seasoned in, in his uh, video production skills, but I always enjoy watching uh, TikToks and you would be surprised how many educational uh, academic advising or just interesting things that people talk about and they can teach you to do in, in one or two minutes. It's, it's always uh, surprising how I can get on TikTok and, you know, watch for two or three minutes. And then before I look up, it's 15 minutes has gone by. Or in some cases, it could be like hours go by. <laughs> but I think, and, and it's and it's funny that you mentioned that, or great that you mentioned that, because, you know, a couple episodes ago, we had Miguel Jaramillo from Rio Rancho Schools that was on, who was talking about TikTok and kind of how he just, by chance, got famous a little bit uh, from his TikToks that, that he did, but how you can actually engage students, but then that there is an educational professional development side of it, because with that algorithm, kind of depending on what you, you're you watching, TikTok's going to push those videos to you. And so there is literally an academics of TikTok side of it. There's a, a teacher TikTok side of it. Um, cooking, you know, there's so, so whatever you, you could imagine, there's a side of TikTok for you for that. So, um, yeah. And so definitely it's not just the, the dances and, and funny videos. There are opportunities to, to actually learn uh, by watching a lot of those videos. Um, now, this is being posted in, in early July. So, you know, this is that transition piece where you have Dr. Melinda Anderson that's starting as um, our new Nakata executive director. You have Charlie Nutt with uh, his phased retirement. Anything you want to say to uh, Dr. Anderson starting as the, the new executive director and also for Charlie in his phased retirement? I mean, just congratulations to Charlie. It has been an absolute pleasure to know and to grow under him. As I mentioned, he came to our campus uh, to help us with our uh, academic advising philosophies a few years ago. But then we were also pleased to host Dr. Melinda Anderson uh, here recently for our symposium. Um, she, she came and spoke you know, virtually this past summer at, at Georgia Tech's uh, conference. So, I mean, to really have the support of the Georgia Tech faculty and and undergraduate uh, education to 
really show their support for academic advising is immensely helpful. And anything that I can do to help Melinda be successful, please feel free. <laughs> Ask and, and I will say yes. And uh, to Charlie, uh, don't be a stranger because we definitely most assuredly appreciate all of your hard work and help and uh, wish you the best in your coming retirement. A couple of uh, lovely messages there, uh, Leslie. Now, I think, you know, we've covered a lot today and I think, uh, you know, listeners will have taken a lot away from what you have said, like insights that you have provided, really great tips, you know, and, and practical things that they can do. If uh, there are listeners who would like to, to get in touch with you, to, uh, to hear more from you, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? Well, they can always just email me, which is, you know, probably the best way at lross at gotech.edu. They can also look me up on Facebook, uh, I also maintain the School of Public Policy's Facebook and Instagram, so I'm pretty uh, popular on on um, social media platforms. Uh, I'm happy to connect with anyone, talk about academic advising, or about anything else that I might be interested in or be able to help you with. Well, and we just learned something else that something else that you, you also do. So also doing the social media account. It's all those, you know, <laughs> additional duties as a sign. You know, it encompasses a wide variety of duties. Everything that you do is, is you give 100% and it's fantastic. And uh, I think we've both enjoyed talking to you today for the podcast and Hopefully we all make it out there to Ohio for, for the conference and then see you in person again. But Leslie, uh, this has been great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Some fantastic insights there from Leslie on transitioning to college life, writing an award application and educational TikTok. Before we get to our next interview, let's hear from Dane Zanowski about what's the latest with Dane's desk. Hello, Adventures in Advising podcast listeners. This is Dane here from Dane's Desk, encouraging you to check out the new videos posted on the Adventures in Advising YouTube channel. This past week, I had the pleasure to speak with Tim Cox uh, about his advising philosophy. And the upcoming week, uh, we have a great video from Amber King, who is the Region 2 chair. Uh, she will also be talking about her personal advising philosophy. So again, check out these videos on the Adventures in Advising YouTube channel. It's Dane's Desk. And feel free to reach out and connect with me through LinkedIn if you want to be a guest on a future episode of Dane's Desk or if you have ideas about topics. And as always, keep advising. Thanks, Dane. Check out our YouTube channel, Adventures in Advising. Subscribe and watch some amazing interviews. Next up, we have Rachel Mars. <music> Our guest at this time is Rachel Mars. Rachel currently serves as the lead academic advisor for the healthcare management program at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, where she oversees a caseload of approximately 300 students on campus and online major students. She's also the program administrator for their online student center and faculty advisor for the HCM Student Association. Rachel is the incoming president-elect for the UAB Council of Academic Advisors and is an active member of the Professional Development Committee for the Council. 
Prior to the pandemic beginning, Rachel was a huge advocate for using flipped advising and Zoom as tools to reach her online population of students and served as a Zoom mentor for those advisors who had to pivot their approach to virtual advising. Prior to coming to UAB in August 2018, Rachel worked at Sanford University, where she originated the role of academic advisor at the Brock School of Business and advised freshmen and sophomore pre-business majors and all business minors, as well as served as orientation and undergraduate recruitment coordinator for the school. Rachel has been an active member of NACADA since 2015. Personally, Rachel is a super fan of the TV show Friends loves coffee, and loves spending time with her husband, Daniel, and their two dogs, Noah and Lulu, in their townhouse on the hill. Rachel runs an ever-growing fan account about Aldi USA on Instagram called Aldi Foodie. Finally, Rachel was recently accepted into the Graduate Certificate in Leadership and Development starting this fall, and then will go on to pursue a doctorate program in higher education while also hoping to grow her family through domestic adoption. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I sound really busy, don't I? <laughs> just, just a smidge. Just a smidge. Um, I, I, I understand why you need uh, and 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 like all that coffee. Though I think many of our listeners working in higher ed can uh, can empathize with that. And we will delve into many of the things that uh, Matt outlined in your bio. But we always like to begin to give listeners the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. Rachel, can you talk to us about like how you came to to work in higher ed and ended up where you are now? Absolutely. Um, so I went to Auburn University. That was my undergrad, not part of the bio. I should have said, should have put that there. Um, and I there while I was there, I was a resident assistant. So I'm a first generation student. I didn't know anything about college until I got to college. I was the student that was literally downloading, looking at all of the PDFs because that was the huge thing. We didn't have apps I went to went to Auburn um, trying to figure out my routes and where I was going to live. And so I was a resident assistant um, for three years after my freshman year um, in the same building. And so my senior year, I actually went to a graduate school fair. And that's why I realized you could actually make a career out of working in higher education. And so I um, applied for I literally applied for two graduate <laughs> programs. Um, I'm very like put my all my eggs in one basket. I really shouldn't do that. But um, I applied for two graduate programs, one at Auburn and one at South Alabama. And um, it was for at South Alabama. They had this thing called a community director graduate assistantship. And so I was able to get my graduate school for free. Yay. Um, and then I uh, that's kind of how my career in higher education started, because it was a graduate professional working, you know, you're living, working in the residence hall and um, each of us had our own like leads. And so I was the lead for our residence hall association, as well as our um, training and development for our students and stuff. And then um, I was really blessed to be able to live in the newest residence halls on campus, which came with its own, <laughs> its own challenges um, and stuff like that. So it was a little, it was challenging for sure. Um, but it was really fun because I also got to really work with students and supervise students. And that was a lot of um, growth opportunities and stuff with that, um, because I literally no one really taught me how to be a supervisor. I just kind of had to learn it as I went. And the first year I really flubbed it up. But the second year I was much better because I took what I had learned. Um, and it seems every year I worked in housing because I even went after my graduate school was complete. I went to I actually worked at where I am now, UAB, as a residence life coordinator. And so I was there in housing for about seven years, if you count my undergraduate work. And then I came to um, advising after when I was looking for a functional area to move to outside of student affairs, because I was kind of 
very burnt out on the whole living on campus thing. So I was like, I want a job that doesn't require me to do that. So, um, and then I found the role at Stanford. And so I was at UAB for one year and I felt bad at first, but then it kind of became apparent that it, that's pretty common in higher education. You learn different areas that you do and don't want to be in. And so I moved into where I was at Stanford and that was a lot of fun. It was really interesting being the first true advisor on the campus because you really got to kind of make the role your own, which was a lot of fun, but there's also still the campus um, politics that you have to negotiate and figuring out like, I can say this, I can't say that. And so, um, and I was there for about three years and three months and then I moved to my current role. So a lot of fun. Um, I really loved, the reason why I wanted to be in higher education was I love the development that happens from because I saw it in myself, like from freshman to senior year. And um, I was the RA for freshman students really my whole my whole time there. And so it was a lot of fun. The last two years were even more interesting because I was actually an RA for a boys floor um, being a female. And so <laughs> it was interesting because there I was I kind of got looked at like they're either their mother, their big sister, or somebody they tried to flirt with. And it was weird. And so <laughs> try not to try not to instigate that last one. But the, um, my last year I was there, my, they, they had honors students in our, in my floor. And so you would think they would be a little well, be a little more well-behaved than the traditional student. Mm, no, there's some, still some very interesting. I remember my last day or my last week in the hall that, that they were kind of like, we can't get in trouble. It's the last week. And they, they were right. You can't really get in trouble your last week. And so they did a lot of pranks and stuff. And it was a lot of fun. Um, not fun being, I was actually like barricaded into my room by water cups. Like, I don't know if you've seen when people do that. So I like, I opened my door and there was just like water cups every way I could possibly, <laughs> I could possibly view it, um, which is a lot of fun, but um, just <laughs> definitely interesting and so but I take a lot of what I learned working in housing for those seven years from undergrad to grad to professional and just kind of you know I I, I will say housing and residence life individuals have the best stories and I feel like that even goes into like working and advising because you know we each each of us have really unique students that we work with and so learning that respect and that care for students there in that functional area was super important to moving forward. And then it also gave me the perspective of the student asked me a housing question or a residence life question. I can be like, well, actually go talk to this person. So I'm really grateful that I got that because I feel like so many pieces touch each other just like they do in advising within residence life. So yeah, I think I answered your question. <laughs> Yeah, and we've had you know previous guests who worked in, in housing residential life who have said you know it was a great experience. They were able to pick up so much and tie that into academic advising. But at the same time, they're kind of glad they're out of housing. Yes, just because I'm of super... how on the go it is. <laughs> exactly. I don't think there were there were days when I, especially when I was at UAB, because at UAB I managed a, a building that was. 11 stories and they all had balconies and they were all freshmen and so there were great decisions that were made during that experience um, by some students and not so great ones um, and I remember so it was when Snapchat was kind of becoming a big thing and I still remember this um, this student one of my RAs brought to me a video from Snapchat of this student literally climbing from balcony to balcony and he was like a good eight floors up and like, it's just pavement down there. So it's not like it would be soft if he fell. And so we had a really great educational conversation about, about that. And then I, I just to give you another story for fun, funsies, um, I, uh, one of them, I lived in, I lived in the building. So in the building, I lived at the top floor and to the left. And so I had a really great view of what is our Vulcan statue, which is kind of like a landmark in Birmingham. But because I lived in the building, I often saw things that were not great. <laughs> 
And so one night, um, a student who was actually the brother of one of my RAs in the building, he decided it would be a great idea to throw things off the balcony like chairs, eggs. And I had to call the RA on call and I was like, hey, I'm just out here on my balcony and I see things going on. Can you go handle that? (laughs) It was very interesting. So a lot of educational conversations, a lot of conflict management too. Like that's another interesting thing. And then I think another piece that I think housing really gives you is the parent aspect. You know, I don't really see as many parents right now in my current role, but when I was working in housing, it was, you know, navigating those relationships can sometimes be challenging. And also you hear, you hear a lot of angry sometimes. (laughs) So like dealing with those kind of, those challenges are really interesting for sure. But um, yes, I agree. I'm grateful to be out of it. Um, I I will value my time forever, but I'm glad that's not where I am now. (laughs) I really love advising. So yeah. Yeah, um, res life is is never ever dull, and uh, as you said, you you have transitioned out and uh, moved away from that side of things. But maybe you could talk to us a little bit about your your current role and the the different hats that you wear w- uh, within that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so like you said, I'm with I'm at UAB in the healthcare management program currently, and I. Um, I've really gotten a lot of autonomy in my role. So I've kind of gotten to even we've had we had an advisor before that before I came in. Um, and so I kind of came in as this this primary advisor role where I was seeing everyone from freshmen to really first semester seniors. And so having that autonomy and then we just actually are moving to a more traditional structure where we're splitting it down the middle between last names and stuff. And so um, I'm, I've gotten to actually, I just got done going through the, I'm still going through it really the training piece for our new advisor. So that's been a really interesting experience. Um, but what I was going to say is that, yeah, I've, I've, one of the things that I really loved about this role is I've gotten to really engage an online population of students because we have a fully online major and a fully on campus or a hybrid of the two, even before the pandemic began. Um, because originally our program began as a degree completion. So people that were working in healthcare um, as nurses, um, physical therapy assistants, those kind of things, they could come and get a bachelor's degree because most of those will have like a uh, associate's licensure type of thing program. Um, and so we really moved from that to having more traditional students who are freshmen that are actively choosing our program. Um, and then on top of just the traditional like this is your major and this is what you do. We also have fast tracks. So we have students who are going from a fast track in healthcare management to the health informatics master's program. So working with technology and stuff. And then we have students who are interested in occupational therapy um, who are doing a fast track, currently not active, but working on it. And so that's a whole like <laughs> gamut is keeping up with that coursework and then saying you have to do it this way. And um, and so um, on top of that, the flipped advising piece is really something I've come into my own. Um, We had this online student center when I came in, but it wasn't being utilized quite as effectively as it is now. Um, And I'm not trying to toot my own horn. It's just I really leaned into that communication piece because what I was finding in my appointments is that students were saying, I don't know this. And I'm like, you have this online resource. Why don't you go to it? And so it's basically an online course that they're automatically enrolled into every semester. But we use it as a as a interactive 24-7 resource for them where there's advising resources, there's campus resources, and then I also use it as a way to do weekly announcements to them. Um, it'll actually go out today at one at 1.30 um, about things that are going on campus or if we're doing, I'm doing a lot of drop-in advising on Zoom this, this current summer semester just because there aren't as many students on campus and so they aren't really scheduling appointments but they're emailing me frantic at like 2.30. Hey, can I see you? Yes, you can tomorrow at this time to this time. And so um, that's kind of what led to my 
involvement with the flipped advising piece with Dr. Steele is, you know, he, he did a court, he did that article. And then previously I had done a Nakata technology and advising uh, webinar and that's how we got connected originally. And so um, it was pretty interesting to just kind of, you know, get into this role and I basically wear a lot of different hats. Like you said, um, a couple other hats I wear is that faculty advisor piece, which has been really fun. I really love the organization. Um, and then I also do stuff with our on-campus council. So that's been a lot of fun too. Yeah. And then, so with the flipped advising, at what point did you, were you able to decide like what went into like the, the LMS or the flipped advising that, that you were doing and how has that been since, since you've been uh, implementing yeah. that? Um, have the students noticed anything different when they're meeting with you? Have you and the other advisors noticed anything different when you're meeting with the students? Yeah. Um, so I kind of inherited it immediately when I started. So yay. Congratulations. Welcome. Learn this. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, to a certain extent, I, it's pretty, to me, I'm always been an early adopter when it comes to technology. And so just doing that to me is not a bad thing. Some, some people need a lot more training, but I was able to, they give me a lot of autonomy in my role to kind of manage it how I see fit. And so I was the one who implemented doing those weekly announcements because students were telling me, well, I didn't know about this event. And I'm like, you got an email about it, but you know, they don't read their emails. And so, and so, but this way it's another, like it, cause you know, in, in the announcement section, it actually pops up on their canvas page. So it's like, it's actually something else they can see. Um, and then for some students, they'll have their send straight to their email, that kind of thing. And then we also started utilizing the cam, the canvas calendar. So it pops up in their to-do list. So if it, there's a drop in advising or something like that, it's another way to just kind of put that out there so that they actually get it. And then we don't have to continually manage a listserv because basically everybody that changes to our major, they get automatically added to it because of the, the coding and stuff in the system. Um, and then I really started doing like video announcements. <laughs> that was so awkward at first, but it got, it got better. Um, and so I was able to like u- utilize that. And I kept trying to keep it to like three minutes or less of just things that were happening. And then when we were pivoting to the online learning experience, even more so with COVID, we were getting a lot of questions, like a lot of the same questions, like pass fail. And what is it? Why should I do it? And so creating videos that explain that because, you know, the policies are written online, but the students, they, for some reason, the comprehension isn't always as, as well done as it should be with between like the students reading something and understanding it. So trying to merge the two is really important. And I think that's what the flipped advising is, is that we, say in orientation, you have this great resource called, you know, Canvas, or you have this great resource called our, we call it GPS, but it's really just degree works, you know, but explaining that from a, you know, taking that one step further and making it to where they always have this resource. And then for us, our, um, we have an internship at the end of our major that they have to do, and they have to do very specific steps. And so we needed a place to house those steps into the into their you know experience that wasn't necessarily graded but they're you know it's part of that experience for them and so we use it for that as well but it's really just like it's kind of like a for lack of a better term like a a frequently asked questions place it's a place for them to just literally be able to ask that question like oh there's a student center instead of me emailing miss mars like five different times about the same question let me just go check and see if it's there usually it is so that's kind of what we've really done. And then I've just kind of utilized it. And the way that we kind of see the effectiveness is, is based on how many questions we're getting about the same topic. And then we kind of like realize, okay, well, we need to put something there that is for them to, and that way, whenever they email us, we can say, go look at the student center. And that itself has just been a training piece on myself of not just answering the student question, but actually referring them back to the place that is a free resource for them. 
And I suppose in relation to flipped advising, we had uh, doctors Steele and Via Vicencio on episode 24 of Adventures in Advising, Flipping the Script. And I know you are... Actually just listen to that ah, one. Ah, <laughs> refreshing, refreshing memory. But you are going to be presenting um, at the annual yeah. conference in October. Do you want to whet mm-hmm. the, the listeners' appetites a little bit in relation to what you'll be presenting on? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I had, and I will unashamedly say this was my idea because it was. I um, so I had this idea to we had the we had the article that came out um, last year, and it, it has five um, interviews with different different people of different um, areas and stuff. And then we did the webinar. I want to say it was this year. I, I feel like that. I feel like I blacked out a little bit about <laughs> some, some of this year, but um, but earlier earlier we did the webinar after that article. So what I had the idea was, why don't we continue basically what the webinar was, but have a little bit of a twist to it um, in a live panel event. So a live panel presentation where it's me and the other people that were on the previous conversations and George is going to be, um, uh, excuse me, Dr. Steele is going to be, uh, you know, uh, what's the word mediating, you know, being the panel mediator. And so it'll give the opportunity for people to ask questions that maybe if they missed the webinar or maybe they had questions since the webinar, they could, you know, continue it you know, continue the conversation essentially about flipped advising because it really is a flipped advising thing. But there's also going to be new pieces where we talk about how do we know it's working? Um, This question has been asked of me a lot lately is how do we know we're good at what we do and how do we know that this is happening? And so talking about those aspects of, well, we noticed less questions. We've um, how do we and if we're asked, how do we quantify those things? That's important, too. So um, we're working on the quantifiable aspect in my role. So that's something I finally have time to actually address and look at like that kind of thing, because one of the neat things in the LMS is you can actually see where people go in your course. And I love that piece. So you can actually like, oh, well, three people went on this day to this day, like that kind of thing. Um, went to this particular page. And so that's really what that's really about is the panel is going to be a continuation of the conversation and a way for us to um, also talk about the quantifiable aspects of using a flipped advising approach of, you know, so many, you have so many students you have to manage day to day. Well, one way you can lessen that management piece is by creating an online student center, at least in my case, where they can reference questions that they might have or I know for um, the gentlemen that are from Florida, they were using it as a really key component of their freshman experience and orientation. And so that's another aspect. And then yet again, there's another lady from the graduate school. I want to say it's in Portland. I don't remember the name of it, but she talks about her online students that she manages with the graduate program. And then we have someone um, from Hawaii who talks about her experience using that, too. So there's a lot of really diverse perspectives. Um, I'm probably one of the only ones that uses it as a student center, whereas the other ones use it as more of a course. And so um, it's interesting because you get to hear why people do it that way and what worked for them, what didn't work for them. And so, yes, please come. We would love to have you. And it is going to be available virtually as well as in person. So because we're actually going to have some of our presenters zoom in <laughs> to, to the to the panel. So it's kind of interesting too. Yeah, it's going to be fun and utilizing technology. And it's nice to have the different perspectives. So as anyone who's any mm-hmm. attendee, whether they're watching virtually or are there in person, they can probably pick, yes. pick a little bit up from everybody that that's going to be speaking. So that sounds really fascinating. Now, one yeah. of the things too is, you know, you're very passionate about career readiness for your students. And, you know, you have <laughs> yes. an active partnership with the UAB Career Center, with the faculty, can you talk more about your partnerships with the faculty and the Career Center and I guess in a way how you're able to work with and expose students to career opportunities? 
Yes, absolutely. So with the faculty, I'll, I'll, I'll address that first. So we have our degree is very and this is probably going to be very degree specific. So if, if it doesn't work for your degree, don't feel bad. But for our degree, we have a very practitioner based field. So um, and not just necessarily like healthcare, like, you know, doctors, law, lawyers that aren't not lawyers. I don't know why I said lawyers there, doctors and like nurses and stuff. But um, our program is based on healthcare administration. And so there's a lot of ways that can really pan out in your career. You could work in long-term care, which is like elderly care. Um, you could also work at a, as a hospital administrator, or you could work as just your regular office manager. Like there's a lot of ways it could really work. And so I kept getting the question, what can I do with this degree? And at the time I was relatively new, so I didn't honestly know. <laughs> I'm still learning all of the research and stuff and the information from our accrediting body, which is called AUPHA. And um, I won't go into the long name as long. It's just last part is important, healthcare administration. And so um, and so that's really what I kind of I was I was coming into this role with the expectation I would plan these visits with these faculty members, but it became to where we were literally doing the same type of site visits. So I started to go outside of just the faculty, but also to working with um, the career center to help plan some of those. I, I rebranded them last year, right before the pandemic. They're called employer tours now. And so basically they're helping, you know, our students see I could work at a place like the Veterans Administration or um work at a place like Children's Hospital, which is like two blocks from my building. And so helping them see that there's not just this one set pathway, because that's one of my marketing tools for our degree is that it is very versatile and that it's the business side of healthcare. And so trying to help them see that in actuality is where those faculty partnerships come in. And then on the other side of it is that our program is very um, I don't want to say prescriptive because they can take the classes at any level, but they, they do have to take very specific classes for the major. And so if a student's not doing well in a class and they don't make the grade they need to, that's going to that could hold up their progression. And so the faculty and I, especially in the last year or so, have really become partners in student success and that they let me know when a student isn't doing so great so I can make sure they know about the add drop deadline or the withdrawal deadline so that they or the pass fail in that in that instance. Um, because our program has a specific grade requirement. And so those are kind of the faculty partnerships I've had. Um, on the other side with the Career Center, they, um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of career centers are like this, but they have certain benchmarks they have to meet with the partnerships or the schools that they they work with. Because in, in our model, the each of our schools have a career consultant, and so they have to do events and stuff like that. And so what I started doing before the pandemic was the career consultant and I would host office hours in the building just for the School of Health Professions. And I kind of became the unofficial career consultant contact. <laughs> and so I would help her get connected to um, students and not just ours, but like all over, all over, um, all over the school. And then we, um, through the, through that partnership, I got connected to the employer recruiters, essentially. So they basically, you know, they make those relationships with those employers to get them to come to campus and recruit our students. And so um, uh, they, they started, we started doing that together. And so we, before, it was like the day, I, I still remember it was the, the day that the university sent out the email that they were monitoring the pandemic. It was like February 22nd or something. I still remember this day. They, um, they, we had an employer panel, which was awesome. We had about 10 employers come to our building and we had lunch with about 30 or so students that can make it. And they got to really have that hands-on um, networking capability because what we were finding is that our students were just not, they weren't networking the way that they could. And so we were trying to make it easier on them. Not that we would, you know, find a job for them, but we would make it as easy as possible to find a job. And then 
even within the last two semesters, we have our internship process, like I mentioned. And so a lot of times our students will find jobs through that process. And so it's a lot of um, just, I guess the easiest way to put it is a lot of networking, a lot of relationship building. I think sometimes people in the academic side of things are really afraid to partner with the student affairs side of things. And so, um, and I'm not because I came from that. So I'm like, I can see the the, the relationship between that. Um, and I think it's so important to have, because we want our students to be, well, to be well-rounded, right? So why wouldn't we partner together? And then for us in our program specifically, we have a human resources course. And so they already have to create a LinkedIn. They have to create, um, they have to have a headshot for that. And so one of the other really unique perks of our, of our career center is they do headshot days. So they actually, you know, they'll, you can actually go get a professional portrait headshot, whatever you want to call it in their student center. But I wanted to, I wanted to bring them to us because our students just don't go to that part of campus because UAB as a whole, I, when I started, it was like spread out over 90 blocks. And I think now it's like at 120 blocks, like we're a huge campus and it's very confusing if you don't know where to go. And, um, and so trying to, you know, professionalize our students is really what drives my partnerships is I want to make it as easy as possible. So I don't mind doing more work to make sure that they're served well and they, and cause I want them to get hired. I don't want them to come back to me in like two months and say, I can't find a job. And to be fair, like I can give them all the resources and if they don't actually take the initiative, that's on them. But the thing is, I'm going to make sure I've done as much as possible to make it available. And then like one of the other really unique things that they have done as a career center is they actually now have a Canvas course shell that you can add or a module section that you can add into your Canvas, Canvas courses. And so there's talk about doing that for sure. But I mean, I'm very passionate about it because I didn't have anybody that advocated for me like that. Like my advisor, no offense to, I'm not going to say his name. Um, I actually might be retired, so it probably wouldn't matter. But my advisor at Auburn was not this way. Like he did not actively advocate for me and find and help me find ways. I, I don't really, I think it was honestly like, I'm a Christian. So the Lord, <laughs> that was how I found some of my opportunities and stuff like the graduate school fair um, and stuff like that. That was a really big thing. And then RA, I just found because I was able to you know, I, I I loved working in the residence halls. I was part of the RHA, the Residence Hall Association and stuff. And so I think that was really a big part of my um, my growth. But I want someone to advocate for me like I wish I would have been advocated for. And I think that's a key component in advisors is that, yeah, there's people that are in the advising field that they just they're here to do a job. That's fine. That's your choice. But I really believe our lives are much richer as advisors when we actually take an active part in helping them succeed. And so because, I mean, a lot of advising and success, those two words often go together when you're looking at advising centers. And so part of that success is not just let's get you through this degree. It's getting you to your next step, which is working full time, making a name for yourself, making a personal brand. And that's another part is people don't realize that even as a student, you can have a personal brand. And so we have to, at the career readiness aspect, we have to say, well, is your personal brand good? And they're like, what, what does that mean? And that's just, you know, do people know your name and what do they associate with that name? And so like for me, Rachel Mars, I want people to associate not just good advisor, but great advisor, great advocate. And that's something that is, I really take to heart because you only have one name. Well, depends on who you ask. But some people, you know, they change your name, but you know what I mean? So like you have one reputation that you have to really build. And so when we're going through our internship process, I try to help our students realize that, you know, every day you go to that internship is a job interview. Like you're you're interviewing every single day and everything you do is going to account for whether or not they decide to offer you a position or not. So make it make it count. Make it a good one. <laughs> 
So, but I mean, that's, that. I think that's where my passion comes from is because I, I am a first generation student. And so I want, I want someone to be what I needed. And that's where, that's kind of where it all comes down to for me. Well, I love the passion. I, I love the philosophy. I, I love the, your yeah. willingness to collaborate across the, the university. And I definitely think there will be things that listeners can take uh, away from, you know, that uh, mm-hmm. piece that you've talked about, and particularly in relation to, uh, you know, ensuring students are career ready. One of the things that I think Absolutely. would be interesting to, to chat about, because we're recording this in late June and, and next month is Nakata's Summer Institute. And that's something you yeah. took part on and, and have written about previously. Maybe you could share with listeners a little bit about your experience with the Summer Institute. Absolutely. So I did the Summer Institute in 2017. Um, so prior to COVID wrecking everybody's lives. Um, not really, but you know, wrecking everybody's plans, not really lives. I feel like that I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's a better description. Um and it was, um, I was at Stanford at the time. And so I was asking, I asked, I remember asking my supervisor to go because I kept getting feedback and take this for what you will, that the, the, the um, national conference was in the middle of peak advising season. And so that was a problem. <laughs> so I was trying to solve a problem. I didn't really know exactly. I just knew I read about the Institute and I thought it was really awesome. And I was like, there's, I know, cause one of the things we were doing in that, I was doing in that role is that we had a a discussion about, or not discussion, I guess in the advising appointments, every student had to sign an agreement that said, I will make this grade and this grade and do this and da, da, da. And basically they had to sign it very old school, <laughs> like type of way. And so they were, they were having to sign this document anyway. So I was like, why can't we incorporate that into an advising syllabus? Cause I had been reading articles at the time about using that as an effective way to communicate expectations, not just for the years that I was advising them, but our upperclassmen advisor was, um, you know, she was running into issues where students were saying certain things to her that were just not, not appropriate and having unrealistic expectations. Cause sometimes when you work at a private college students, because they pay more, they expect more. And that's not necessarily bad, but there's also, you know, there's reality that has to come into that aspect. And so I, um, I, I definitely, I did the Institute. Um, it was, honestly, one of the best experiences of my professional life. And I'm not just saying that to make you pay money and go. It really, it really was. I, um, I, it was, it was a week long and I think it's virtual this year. Um, I'm hope that eventually they'll go back to in-person because I think the act of literally getting away from where you work and going and just intentionally working out your plan. Cause the way it works is the first day you kind of meet your group, you're grouped into similar sized institutions um, and or similar backgrounds. So like all of the people in my group were from a small private faith-based college. And so um, it was really a, a really interesting just experience and all of us had our own goals. And then we had these great like leaders um, who were some of the, <laughs> And in, in Christi- Christianity, they talk about greats in the faith. I call these greats in, in advising. Like they, um, we had just some really great um, re- um, mentors and stuff. And um, I am blanking on his name. His first name is Richard. He just uh, he does a lot of stuff with assessment. I'm blanking on his last name, um, but he was mine, and he um, he was wonderful. I'm so grateful I was part of his group because he really made me think about the why behind I wanted to do the the syllabus and um. And so that was just really, really impactful. And so literally it was like you work, you go through these sessions during the day. Some of them are fundamental Nakata values, advising values. Like we went through the different approaches, the different theories. And um, it was just such a, it was like an intensive, not only for 
my goals, but also for just learning about Nakata and the advising profession, which was just so, I, I just, I, I, I might cry thinking about it because it was just so good. Um, and I'm such a big nerd. It was just, it was just wonderful. I got to nerd out with all my friends. Um, and so it was great. And, um, and I left the, I left the Institute because it was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It was wonderful escaping the Alabama heat in July, let me tell you. Um, and so going to the w- Wisconsin and stuff was just an adventure in and of itself. And then I actually got to meet a lot of the people that were at the Institute were from the Wisconsin area. And so um, it was hilarious because we would tell each other, you have an accent. And they were like, you have an accent. I was like, no, you do. And so like, you know, because, you know, I'm Southern and they're Wisconsin. And so, <laughs> and so all the different aspects were really fun to kind of just the relationships that you built out of that experience were really great. And we have, we still have a relationship. I still have a, a Facebook group, like messenger group that we all message each other just occasionally and stuff. And so, and like we had a, um, an advisor from Canada in our group, which was so cool. And then an advisor from Las Vegas. And so just, you know, all these different just aspects that you can, really merged together. And then the awesome thing is that there's a scholarship that you can apply for to it. That was, that was honestly probably the main reason I got to go was because I had earned the Wesley um, Abley scholarship. And I was very excited because I was like, yeah, no, they, it's one of the things they had to pay for. Cause that was always the big question. Who's going to pay for this? And I was like, not me. Um, and, so, and so it was a lot of fun for just, you know, um, building relationships, but also walking away with a very, I felt so accomplished at the end of that week. Like I was, and I mean, and you, you get out of it what you put into it. Like you can go and not do the work and that's on you, but you will have to present your action plan at the end of the, at the end of the week. And so I say, go into it with the expectation to work, but also there's fun and stuff like that. And, you know, um, and if you're, and if you're doing it from home this year, I would say, make sure you like, don't expect, don't, don't make a plan to have to cook that week. Cause <laughs> you're going to be doing homework at night. And so you want to make sure you have the time to do it um, and stuff like that. But I, I can't really can't recommend it enough. It's one of, one of my favorite things I've ever done. Um, and I, I, I said that if I had not, if I had done that um, prior to going to a conference, I probably wouldn't have gone to a conference, but I, I mean, I love the conferences for a whole different reason, just the networking that happens there and the relationships that are built, but just that intensive experience. If you can do it with a team, it's even better. Um, I was solo. So that was interesting. So that's probably why my extrovert was like, I need friends, be my friend. And, you know, I have this moniker within my friend group that I'm aggressively friendly, which is very true. I'm, you're going to be my friend. Sorry. Um, so that's just, <laughs> that's kind of how, um, how it works out. But I, yeah, I really love the Institute. And um, I did, I forgot I wrote about that. <laughs> no, see, I forgot. So um, a really big piece of that. And then that, that also opens, I think, relationships into Nakata. That's how I got really more involved in Nakata was doing the Institute. Cause I mean, all of the, the Nakata leadership is usually at those institutes and they're just, they're, they're, they're so wonderful. Like I, I've never been in a place where they're so supportive and they just, they really want you to succeed. They don't have I, at least, I mean, not that I know of, they don't have any ill will towards you from what I can tell. And that's, you know, that's hard to find sometimes professionally, especially if you come from an institution where that isn't always the culture. Yeah. And it's, you know, cause also you can go to a conference and just get overwhelmed with everything. So to have things like this, like the Institute, you know, where you, true. it's like, let's work on one thing and let's make it the best thing ever. Cause I did have a colleague, yes. previous colleague who went a few years ago, I think it was, it was probably 2015 or 2016 for the Institute. And by the end of that week, she was able to revamp the undeclared and undecided exploratory advising process that that she was coordinating. And it was probably one of the most mm-hmm. amazing things. And then she ended up getting to then present about the results once she implemented it at our university. So it was really fantastic. Now, one of the things with, with your advising philosophy yeah. is it, it revolves around a couple of advising theories, like appreciative advising, developmental advising. 
how has your advising philosophy evolved over the years to where the pre-show advising and developmental advising stand out to you? That's a very good question. Um, I would probably say that I didn't really have a true defined theory until the last two years. Um, and that's just because I was so new. Like I didn't really understand. Um, I didn't, I didn't understand. And I did, to be honest, didn't really care what anybody thought about my advising. I knew I was awesome. That's, and, but as you know, as you go through, you mature. And so, um, and I was so new, I was, when I, I came, I feel like one of the things I can say here without hopefully throwing anybody under the bus is that my previous position, I was really, I was, I was originator of the role, but there was a lot of things that I was not allowed to do in that role because it wasn't my job. And I feel like as I've gotten into this role, I'll be here for three years in August. I've really been allowed to develop. And um, like you get the, you get the patterns down, you get the things down that you need to know in the curriculum and stuff. But sometimes I think advisors need time to develop their own thought processes. And I think sometimes that's not always the, the, the um, viewpoint of the university that they, you know, they just want you to do the job, but that's not the case. I think that if we want to create professional advisors, we have to give them time to think about what they really want. And um, for me, I, the development piece is really about, I want the students to want to do their work and not that I want them to do, you know, the coursework, but I want them to, to want to do the field that they're going into. And so giving them time to explore and really think about, I don't want to take this many classes beyond that, go beyond that. Like, why do I want to do healthcare management? Like what's the why? And so, and then how is this going to fit into my goals? I think that's really part of the developmental piece. And then the appreciative piece is really, I view our, I view advisors as partners. And I feel like appreciative advising is much more centered on the partnership versus prescriptive where it's like, do this and you'll succeed, like, <laughs> or do this class because it's offered here. And like our program can tend towards prescriptive because we have certain classes that are offered certain places, but I really want them to self-identify and then help them, you know, figure out why, why they want to do it. And, um, and that's kind of where, where those really come into, I'm still developing my advising philosophy theory. So, um, to be honest, just because I really didn't have to put anything on paper until this last year when I, um, I got nominated for the, the advisor of the year award at our school. And so part of that is you have to write an advising theory and advising philosophy. And I was like, Oh man, we got to think about this. And I did it really fast. And so those were like the two that stuck out to me when I was, um, reviewing it and everything. But, um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I've always been very holistic when it comes to the student, because my thought is if you can't, if you're not having your natural meet, needs met, you can't meet your academic needs. So you don't have food, shelter, um, secure, you know, a secure friendship, secure relationship that you can depend upon. That's important. And I feel like a lot of times what I do is I pr provide that security that I'm going to answer your questions. I'm going to be here no matter what. And honestly, you can't do that without time. Like relationship building only happens over time. Some people are much more open to the advising relationship than others. And you have to be okay with that too, because they, 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 they may view as a prescriptive resource versus the students who want you to be developmental. And I'm, and I'm open to switching my approaches when it comes to students to a certain degree, but, you know, just trying to be flexible is really a big part of why I probably identify most with those because I feel like those are the most flexible approaches, theories, whatever you want to say. And I suppose, Rachel, maybe building off that a, li a little bit, probably one of our, our last big questions then would be in terms of, I think, an area of interest, yeah. certainly that jumps out, at least from, you know, seeing um, 
at you online would be and your interest in kind of educational leadership um and i know you're going back to to school mm-hmm. again in the in the fall or the autumn as we say here but like can you talk yes. to me i suppose a little bit about like that uh, where that that interest kind of where that that came from and the, the desire to to further your studies in the area absolutely so um the lead so the lead certificate that i'm going back for as of, I found that out on Saturday morning, it was great. I was like, great start to the weekend. Um, I really, um, I want to, I want to be a leader. Like, and I, I feel like I can be a leader where I am. I believe you can, there's a whole like book out there called how to lead when you're not in charge. I think that's great. But I think that if you can marry your education to the leadership that you want to possess, that's important. And so that's part of where my goals are. Um, I eventually would love to be a director of advising. I believe I, that could change. Who knows? Um, I don't really, I, I think that, I think the research aspect is so important too. Um, that's not my passion, but I will do it if I need to. <laughs> so, um, and so I think it's just really interesting following the patterns of advising and how when you can, because you can identify when a student has been successfully advised and you can also identify characteristics. Now, not everybody has to be a bubbly extroverted advisor. That's not what I'm saying because that's not, not everybody's approach. But I do think that um, for me, I want to educate myself so I can be the best leader and supervisor when I get to those roles. And then also by leading myself, I can lead others. Does that make sense? So um, I think that part of that is education. And um, and like this lead certificate, the like the first class I have is about professional leadership and how what that looks like, what those are. And then um, the other class I'm taking this fall is going to be on advising and history. And so I'm really excited about that. Um, <laughs> my boss today, she was like, you better make an A in that. And I was like, I will. I will. Don't worry. Um, and so <laughs> and so um, and so that's that I'm really excited about that because there's four for the certificate. There's four classes you have to take. And there's one about ethics. There's one about assessment and um and then I've got to go look at the other one I think there's leadership styles is another one and um and then you get to choose two electives and so my one of my electives is going to be the um the lead 570 which is about advising and so it's a really great certificate because it is only 15 credits and I felt for me I felt like a master's degree I already have a master's degree in higher educational leadership and the piece that's really missing is going to be that specific how to be a leader. And that's what I want is the how to be a leader um, and how to be a supervisor. I, I really, my deep desire, I think beyond just being a director of advising, it's not necessarily so I can be in charge, but so I can mentor. That's like my heart and my passion because I, in my personal life, I lead a lot of small groups and I've been really given the opportunity to mentor young women who are fresh in their marriages. Um, Cause I, I sh- our marriage was, aw- it's awesome now, but it, it, it went through some seasons at the beginning that were tough because, you know, we were just living together. It's, it's a whole other thing or just being committed to someone else. And so just like we have adjustments when we come into a new job, like why wouldn't you want to have someone that can mentor you through that new job? And it's been kind of cool this last, um, <laughs> the last month we hired a new advisor. And so I really got to see that piece on, that side of things being a true trainer because I was training myself, but I had never really trained uh, another professional in advising. And so that was really exciting to be able to be part of that experience and, um, and lead that. And so, and then we're um, potentially going through some transitions in my job right now with, um, with um, our like structure in our school, the current school I'm in. And so we're going to have some interesting, (laughs) it's going to be interesting too. So that there'll probably be some more training pieces to be part of for that. So I'm excited about that. Um, And I just really, I, I think, honestly call them to answer your question just most directly is I want to mentor people. That's really what I really want to do. And I really want to be that 
constant source. And it, it's kind of what advisors do for students. I want to do that for other advising professionals, like be that constant source of um, of uh, steadiness and also like information. And also like if I don't know the answer, I'm going to find it out. And if I can't find it out, we'll figure it out. <laughs> like That kind of thing, because sometimes, you know, in higher education, there isn't a problem until it's brought to you the first time and you're like, well, we got to figure this out. So let's do it together. And, um, and I actually, I recently wrote, um, just kind of, I, I like to write on the side. That's how I process. And so I was writing out like a question, like I was doing a pro con list for something and it was like, why do I want to do this program? And it was actually about the lead program. And one of the things I wrote in that was, I want to be the partner with my advisors under me to mentor them so that they can lead themselves while they lead their students. And that's kind of where it all goes into the same thing it's all about leadership because I think in higher education we're going to see a large leadership shakeup in the next 10 years and um and I think the pandemic we're already seeing that with people retiring and you know or moving out of higher education completely um I read a an article one time that said that mid-level managers are the most likely to leave and so um in higher education not not just advising but they're just the they're the most burnout sector of um, of higher education. And it's just because there's not really anywhere to go sometimes. And then sometimes they are, they're just not mentored themselves. And so, you know, helping, you know, I think you have to mentor yourself sometimes because even if you don't have it above you, because you just have to find and seek out ways to, you know, make yourself better. Yeah. Great advice. And yeah, I think there's gonna be a lot of changes happening. So could be some great opportunities, Agreed. also so, some challenges, but if listeners have any questions, yes. how can they reach out to you? They can reach out to me just via email um, or if they want to follow my Instagram, Aldi Foodie. That's fine. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but if I would say professional advice. Let's <laughs> let's do um, uh, rmars at uab.edu. Sounds good. And I just remember when we first met at the Atlanta Nakata Annual Conference, and we were just two advisors that were just trying to navigate getting around a conference. And I'm glad that we got to meet and keep in touch and look at how things yeah. have progressed. And I'm, I'm really happy to see where you're at today and how much you've been accomplishing and how much you have that you're going to be doing. And I look forward to hopefully catching your conference in Cincinnati. But Rachel, thank you for joining us today. Of course, no problem. It was great to meet you. Yeah, I remember when we met, I met you and Star at the mm -hmm. conference and we were talking about social media and I got shot down, but that's okay. But you know, <laughs> I'm in a different place now. It's all good. So I'm very grateful. And I'm so glad I got to meet you, see you call them in person. I know that I met you at the conference, uh, the last one we all went to, which was in um, Louisville. Yeah, Louisville. And so, yeah, that's, that, that's really exciting. I'm so grateful for this network. I just love it. And I, I love your podcast. It's, it, it's something that really encourages me a lot of times. I really enjoyed chatting with Rachel, hearing about her res life stories, her passion for Nakata Summer Institute, also her work with students on career readiness, her thoughts on educational leadership. She's just so insightful. And I think her presentation on flipped advising coming up at Nakata's annual conference in October is certainly one not to miss. And that's it for this episode of Adventures in Advising. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and also follow us on our social media. That's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Advising Podcast. As well as check out and bookmark our new website, adventuresinadvising.com. Until next time, keep advising. Don't want a complication.